0: So they said god does this he does not do this and we have found a, a nice little institutionalized theologicalized box that we can place god in and Stephen is saying wake up and read the scriptures that is not the way that god's ever operated before you are listening to the hope valley podcast a weekly production of hope valley church in winchester virginia with your host pastor sam rogers Well hello and welcome to Sunday morning with Hope Valley Church. I'm Pastor Sam, I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Valley and uh, today we're continuing uh, in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. And uh, today we're going to be picking up uh, really where we left off last week uh, Stephen had just been brought before the Sanhedrin, uh, which is the Jewish, you know, supreme court. You can think of it like that. And after people had been, you know, really been spreading lies and exaggerations about what he had been teaching, right? So if you go back a couple of lessons, Stephen and about six other guys uh, had been appointed for an important ministry to make sure that all the wiggles are being properly cared for. Uh, but Stephen was also just preaching and demonstrating the power of God and performing miracles. And, uh, and really, a lot of opposition rose up against him, so we looked at the way that he handled that and the combination of character and gifting that Stephen had. And we left that story where the, you know, he's brought before the Sanhedrin, and the whole Sanhedrin, you know, this high court, they're looking at him, and it's visible to them that he's been in the presence of God. That's, that's what it means when it says that he had the face of an angel. And so that's where we left off. And so um, this is really interesting. What we're going to see here is Stephen then really presents this case, and, and he really uh, really preaches basically a full-on sermon to the Sanhedrin. And it's interesting because uh, Stephen is uh, preaching what's really the longest recorded message in the book of Acts, right? There's many sermons and many messages and speeches recorded in the book of Acts. None of them are as long as this one. It's about 52 verses. Uh, today we are going to read them all, and uh, but what we're going to do is over the next uh, three uh, lessons, we're going to uh, continue to unpack this one sermon because there's really so much here. So what we're going to do is we're going to start, we're just going to read uh, Stephen's uh, sermon today. Uh, and as we do, the question for today that I want you to think about is the question, is God predictable? Okay, is God predictable? All right, that's the question I'd invite you to have in the back of your mind as we read. So let me go ahead and read through Stephen's sermon here. And then today we're going to hit one of the layers of what we see uh, Stephen saying, really, and arguing for. So uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 1, uh, starts like this. Are these things true? The high priest asked. Brothers and fathers, Stephen replied, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham When he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran. And he said to him, Leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And from there, after his father died, God had him moved to this land in which you are now living. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, But he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. God spoke in this way. His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country, and they would enslave and oppress them for 400 years. I will judge the nations that they will serve as slaves, said God. Uh, After this, they will come out and worship me in this place." And he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and after this he fathered Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph, and sold him into Egypt, but God was with him, and rescued him out of all his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler Over Egypt and over his whole household. Now, a famine and great suffering came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could find no food. And when Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors there for the first time. The second time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Joseph invited his father, Jacob, and all his relatives, 75 people in all, and Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died there, were carried back to Shechem, and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. As the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king, who could not know Joseph, ruled over Egypt He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so that they couldn't survive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months, and when he was put outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions, and when he was 40 years old he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. And when he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, Men, you are brothers, why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when he heard this, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he was approaching to look at it, the voice of the Lord came, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses began to tremble and did not dare to look. The Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. And I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and have come down to set them free." And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected when they said, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge? This one God sent as a ruler and a deliverer through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, at the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the man Moses Who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. He is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offering sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. And God turned away and gave them up to worship the stars of heaven, as it is written in the books of the prophets. House of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for forty years in the wilderness? You took up the tent of Molech, and the star of your God, Rephim, the images that you made to worship, so I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses, commanding him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. And our ancestors in turn received it, and with Joshua brought it when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before them, until the days of David. And he found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the for the God of Jacob. It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house. But the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands, as the prophet says, "Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me?" says the Lord. "And what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things?" You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. Okay, I told you it's the longest recorded messaging acts. and there's a lot of history that Stephen actually manages to recount in just 52 verses. It's pretty incredible, right? And so there's actually multiple layers uh, to what Stephen is saying, and really there's like there's probably like these big three ideas, right? There's three key ideas that repeat throughout Stephen's message. He's really honing on three big ideas. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to break down these three big ideas over the next three lessons. Uh, We'll really take three passes through Acts chapter 7, verse 2 through 53, and we'll look at each point one at a time. Uh, Because what what we see is that Stephen is using Israel's history. That's what he's doing. He's using Israel's history really to do two things. First, to show how the gospel message lines up actually with the way that God has always worked. And he's showing the Jewish leaders that they are repeating the same mistakes that Israel has made in the past. And so, like I said, in each of the next three lessons, starting with today, we're going to look at one of the big ideas that Stephen is unpacking and and is showing as something that repeats through the history of Israel with the stories that he is highlighting and bringing out in this message, right? Uh, So today, we're going to look at the first Of these three ideas, okay? And that idea is that God works through innovation and change. This is one of the big ideas that Stephen is highlighting in his message, right? Over and over again, God either created a change or he used one to move things forward, right? And Stephen tracks this idea really from Abraham to Solomon, all right? So we're gonna walk that through real quick here, all right? So uh, starting back in verse 2 and 3, we see the selection of Abraham, right? So the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham, right? And he said, leave your country and come to the land I'm going to show you. So what we see here is Stephen is recounting the way that God went from working broadly with the human race uh, to really selecting and working specifically through Abraham, right? And then sending him in a new direction to a new land, right? So We see this idea of God working through innovation and change right from the beginning with Abraham because he's picking Abraham out of the entire human race and he's sending Abraham in a new direction that's one of the first ways that uh, Stephen highlights this point Uh, then we see it in the journey of Joseph right in verse 9 and 10 he said the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt but God was with him and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh king of Egypt who appointed him ruler over Egypt so Stephen is recounting how God took uh, Joseph's slavery and the betrayal of his brothers, right? Uh, he, he took that slavery and he turned it into a source of salvation for Israel. And, and it was really a salvation that came from the resources of another land, right? Think about that idea for a minute. Just keep, keep that in your head because it's going to build as we go, right? He's saying God saved Israel using a different land. He, he saved Israel by taking a situation and completely turning around into a whole new kind of a situation, right So again, we see God innovating and changing and, and you, you know God's not changing, but I'm saying he's using change to further his plan, right. Uh, Then uh, we come to the deliverance that happens under Moses. And this is actually where Stephen spends most of his time. And there's a lot to unpack there, but we're going to look at just one of the things today, right? Um, In verse 29 and 30, right, it says, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian. And after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him. Right? We saw those two lines. Uh, And so we see that God revealed himself to Moses after he was far from home. Notice that? right and then in verse 36 it said that this man right Moses he led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the wilderness for 40 years right so Moses led Israel through the wilderness as a mobile nation right so again one of the themes we're seeing here is God changing people's location God putting people on the move God turning situations around, right? Because Moses was supposed to die as an infant. He doesn't. He actually gets adopted into the family of Pharaoh, which is the same Pharaoh that was, you know, giving the orders that would have led to his death. So God's turning that situation around. So we see mobility, we see change, we see God innovating through human events and making every single thing work according to his plan. This is, in, this is, Again, a through line that Stephen is picking up from the history of Israel. And then we see this really focused on in the building of the tabernacle, right? In verse 44, he said, Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, and with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations that, drove, uh, that God drove out before them, until the days of David, right? It's interesting because really, what was the tabernacle? Well, if you're not familiar with it, the tabernacle was designed to be like a mobile temple okay you can kind of think of it like that right where the people of Israel could meet with God while remaining on the move and so it's interesting that again you know there's this mobility and the themes that Stephen is pulling out of Israel's history right God's using change God is using innovation God is moving people around he's making people become mobile right in other words Stephen is pointing out how nothing in God's plan has ever happened by just keeping everything in one place and and putting it in a cute, tiny little box, right? And then finally we see this in the building of the temple itself, which is the very same temple where he's now on trial with the Sanhedrin, okay? Uh, And in verse 46 he said, He found favor, that's David, found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. And it was Solomon, rather, who built, a, who built him a house. Again, a little change there. If you go back and you read the story of David and Solomon, you'll see why it was Solomon that built the temple, even though David's the one that God permitted to build it uh, or gave permission to build it, right? Um, but he's, he's noted, he's, Stephen is noting that change as well, right? After having a mobile temple for such a long time, God permitted David to build him a stationary one. But... He made it clear that this temple that David and actually like Solomon built wouldn't be like the temple of other nations. It wouldn't be a box for him. It wouldn't be the only place that people could find him. God made that abundantly clear. And so that this is a really big idea that Stephen is 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 ending his sermon on right um, because this is a very common human problem. We like to box everything in. We like to put everything in cute, uh, organized. Uh, segmenting little boxes so we can understand things and we can control things, right? Let's be honest. And so Stephen is saying, look, God works through innovation. He works through change. He works through progress. He turns things around. They look like they're going one way. He turns them around to something else. God's not confined. God is on the move. You try to box God in, even in the case of where God permitted them to build him a stationary temple, God made it really clear, you can build this and I will bless it but don't think for a minute that that temple contains me, that it becomes my house, that it's the only place where you can find me because I'm too big for any temple that you can build for me, right? So these are really important points that Stephen is bringing out. And we can now see how Stephen is building that idea of how God works through innovation and change in his in his dealings with human history, right? So this is a big idea for us to focus on today. Um, and then we saw there in the conclusion that Stephen then points out how the Jewish leaders we're repeating the mistakes of their ancestors, right? In verse 51, he said, You stiff-necked people, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit, right? What were they doing? They were, how were they resisting God? They were limiting God. This is what Stephen is saying to them. They were limiting God to their understanding of what he did and didn't do, right? So they said, God does this, he does not do this. And we have, we have found a, a nice little institutionalized, theologicalized box that we can place God in. And Stephen is saying, wake up and read the scriptures. That is not the way that God's ever operated before. God is always in the move, he's always changed. God himself is consistent, but God works. He's consistent, he never changes, but he works in the life of change of, people that, of his people, right? So as his people encounter change, God is working through that, God's in the move. God's, he's not predictable. He can be boxed in, this is what Stephen is saying. And he's saying that they're resisting the Holy Spirit because they're stiff-necked. The idea is that their heads can't be turned, right? He's saying you're stiff-necked, you're resisting the Holy Spirit, just like your ancestors before you did. Because if you go back and you read those stories in the Old Testament, you'll see that as God was working through change, and progress, uh, people resisting him every step of the way. And so Stephen's accusing them of doing the same thing. This creating a resistance to the Holy Spirit In their hearts, because they were blind. This is something we need to think about today. They were blind to the possibility of God working in ways that they couldn't predict. So, let me just leave you with a couple of scriptures here uh, as we wrap up our examination, uh, at least our first pass at examining Stephen's sermon. Uh, Let me leave you with a couple of scriptures that I think will help kind of unpack some more of this idea of how we can't put God in a box. And this is really what Stephen is, one of the points that Stephen is making. To the Jewish leaders Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8 verse 17 says I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the Sun even though a person labors hard to explore it he cannot find it even if a wise person claims to know it he is unable to discover it In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 2 Paul wrote if anyone thinks he knows anything he does not yet know as he ought to know. And then Isaiah 66, 1-2, is actually one of the passages that's even referenced, right? This is what the Lord says, 66 uh, verse 1 of Isaiah. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would my resting place be? My hand made all these things and so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. So, what I'm going to invite you to do um, is, is just think of some of the big ideas that we heard today, right? As we're look, taking this first pass through Stephen's sermon to the Sanhedrin, right? Um, and just ask yourself these questions. First, just what are some of the big ideas that you see? In this passage uh, maybe some things that I didn't even point out what are some of those big ideas that you see and then what are some ways that you can apply those big ideas in your life and maybe some next steps that you can take as you're thinking about those questions let me just give you what I wrote down for myself as I went through this the first uh, thing that I wrote down as a big idea that I saw in this passage is that following God means being ready for change okay following God means being ready for change If you want everything to stay exactly the same and you also want to follow God, you're going to have to give up one of those two things. Okay. The other big idea that I saw is that God is under no obligation to work the way that I think He will. God is always consistent with the way that He has revealed Himself. So don't take anything I've said today and misunderstand it to mean that God God will contradict Himself, God will be one way at a certain time and then He'll change the way He is. God himself never changes. He always operates the same way. He is the only consistent, truly consistent person in the universe, right? Um, but he's under no obligation to, to meet my expectations or to work within the boundaries of, that I set for him or to follow the rules that I lay out for him, right? He's under no obligation to work the way that I think that he will, right? And then the third big idea that I wrote down here was that I have to base my expectations of God on how he has revealed himself through the story of Scripture, not through my tradition, my culture, or my values. And this is actually one of the things that Stephen is accusing the Jewish leaders of, right? That he's pointing out the way that God has revealed himself in the story of Scripture. And he's saying, you guys are holding on to your perspective on who God is based on your on your traditions, and your culture, and your values, but not based on the way that God has revealed himself in the scriptures, right? Um, and so what I wrote down here for some applications in my own life, first is that I have to read the Bible as a story, looking for themes, uh, threads, uh, and consistencies in the way that I see God, um, God working and doing and interacting with people, right? So uh, if you've not ever really read the Bible as a story and you thought about it as a story, it, you, first of all, you need to do that uh, because it will really help you understand it so much more. Um, the Bible is really laid out that way, right? Uh, and then the second thing I have written down here as an application for myself is that I have to humble myself and be teachable uh, and be open to God working in ways that I don't expect. And um, yeah, it's hard for me. I I know it's hard for all of us, but I will confess it's hard for me, you know, uh, spending so much time learning God, you know, inevitably, I begin to form my own thoughts and opinions on and my own predictions of what He will and won't do. And so I have to be humble and I have to remain teachable and be open to God working in ways that I don't expect, because He probably is going to work in ways that I won't expect, right? If I could predict everything God will do, then He wouldn't be God, would He, yeah. All right, well, let me just quickly give you uh, something to pray about today. I just encourage you to pray um, about this thing. And then also just a devotional question to consider. So the prayer point I have for you today is to ask God to reveal to you how he may be, how you may be limiting him or setting rules for him. So just ask God to do that. Like, God, will you show me some ways that maybe unconsciously I am limiting you or I'm even setting rules for how you should act? right? Uh, And the Lord will show you those things. He will. And then a devotional question I have for you to just think about and consider uh, this week is, you know, we all have traditions, uh, values, and cultural things that form our expectations. I mean, that's just true about uh, all of us, right? Well, what are expectations, uh, what expectations might you have that are making you resistant to the Holy Spirit? That was kind of the Jewish leaders issue, right? One of their big problems is They had expectations that made them resistant to what the Holy Spirit was doing through the gospel, through Jesus and through his disciples, right? So we need to take that question and go, what are some ways that my traditions, my culture, my values um, are creating expectations and those expectations are making me resistant to the Holy Spirit himself? Think about that question this week. Uh, Pray through that question this week. And... uh, I hope this time has been helpful i know it's a lot of information like i said we're going to be going through Stephen's sermon two more times in the next two lessons so i hope you'll join us uh for that but i hope this has been a blessing and uh and getting your wheels turning today as we think through these things and uh, may god just bless you and uh, we hope you have a good one all right bye bye we are so glad you've joined us today to learn more about Hope Valley Church and get access to free resources, just go to www.hopevalley.church. Hope Valley is a church based in Winchester, Virginia that meets in homes around the region. So, if you'd like to find out more about home churches, how they work, and how to locate one near you, just go to hopevalley.church/house. Thanks again for joining us and may God bless you today.